This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. Okay, very good. Um, you know, I was looking at uh, just my notes from last week and then reflecting upon what I felt the Lord would have me share this morning, and uh, this, this thought came to mind. Let's face it, normal is not working. Uh, it's normal for marriages to end in divorce, or to limp along pathetically for years. It's normal for people to financially struggle, living paycheck to paycheck, hoping for a better day that never comes. It's normal for people to believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. Normal is not working. And when it comes to most of the things in the world, let's, let's just say that you maintain the same level of commitment to God, to his church, to your spouse, to your family, to your job. You maintain the same level of commitment this coming year that you did last year. Would you like to be sitting in the same place that you're sitting right now next year at this time? Maintaining the same practices in your life and expecting a different result, some would say, is craziness. And yet, quite often, that's what we do. Um, month after month, year after year, Normal is not working. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but instead keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. How close do you feel to God? How close? Most of us sense and know that there's more to our relationship with Him than what we currently are experiencing, but how do we develop that? Over time, our relationship with God can become lackluster. It can become passive, less than enthusiastic. Yes, there are these occasional bursts of excitement, and even that excitement is short-lived. Our walk with God seems to have these highs and, and lows. But for the most part, a whole lot of mundane is in between all of that. John chapter 10. Jesus gives us one of his missional statements. I have come. That you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Life to the full. Question for you is, how's that abundant life working for you? Would, you? would you say your life is abundant? Would you say that it's full? We have this innate sense that serving and worshiping an infinitely powerful God should be anything but mundane. And yet we find ourselves settling for just that. How is it that we can become content with a mediocre spiritual life in a world where we're constantly bombarded with images, sounds, counterfeit experiences that demand our attention and threaten to distract us? We lose our spiritual focus and we settle for cheap substitutes. We must rediscover, and in some cases discover for the first time, how to remain awakened to God so that we can Feel him and hear him and have clear vision for our lives. If we're not experiencing the zeal and fervor that we just read about in Romans, then we need to ask ourselves why. Paul, encouraging Timothy, said this, chapter 1, verse 6 of 2 Timothy, you must fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you. You go, well, I don't really have any gifts. Yes, you do. And for those to be living and active, you're going to have to fan. You're going to have to, there's going to be some work required there. 
When the fire for God in our hearts begins to smolder, we must recognize that a a key quality in our walk with God is missing. Any spiritual awakening always starts, as we've sung this morning, from a place of fresh surrender to God. And through our surrender, God fills us again with his presence, the power of his Holy Spirit. What Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, he encouraged them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that word filled there means to always be full. It's not just a, a one-time filling. And when we experience staleness in our relationship with God, for whatever reason, surrendering again is the first step to rekindling that, that fire within us. Listen, this can and will be the best year you've ever had if it's your best year spiritually. This year, this year can and will be the best year you've ever had if it's your best year spiritually. I, over the last six, seven, eight years, I don't even really know, have started the year with an intentional season of fasting and prayer. Why is starting the year with a fast a good practice? Um, By the way, uh, what I have found is that there is never a convenient time to fast. There is always a holiday. There is always a get-together. There is always a birthday. There is always an office lunch. There is always something that could say, "Ah, well, I guess I better start it next week. As we spoke about last week, that kingdom principle of how we mark well the entrances and exits of our lives. This also speaks to the principle of first, for those of you that were here for our Blessed Life series that we discussed during that. This is another way of just putting God first. I put him first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added Unto you, you know, the things that you need added to your life and things that I need added to, your, to my life sometimes are a little different. What, what are the things that need to be added to your life this year? When you put him first, you make that a possibility in your life. You'll experience the blessing, the goodness of God throughout this year based upon putting him first, saying, Lord, this year belongs to you. And I start that year with a 21-day season of fasting and prayer. And there are times when I'll, I'll experience a blessing later on in the year that I know is directly tied to this season in my life right now. There have been times when years later I've experienced God's blessing and favor over something that I was praying about three, four years ago during my fasting and prayer season. Um, you know, gr- growing up, I was very passionate about sports, love sports, still do. I'm a sports fanatic. Uh, 95% of what's on the TV at our house, when I'm watching the TV, when I can wrestle the remote away from any four of our children, I watch sports. Ashley has said, if there's a ball bouncing or something moving or someone getting hit, I will find it because I just enjoy it. It's a recorded game. I already know who wins. I don't care. I'll watch it. (laughs) Stupid. And I like surprised how it ended. Um, just love, I love watching it. I love playing sports. I love coaching. Of course, here in this area, we have uh, so many people that are passionate about sports and sometimes even more passionate about their team. Um, 
you know, unfortunately for you guys, tomorrow night, your team probably is not playing. Um, my team is. So I'm, don't hold it against me. I'm from Ohio. My team is playing, and no one from the SEC, they've been really quiet. It's been amazing. All you SEC folks, rolling tide and all that stuff, been really quiet. Um, passion. Sometimes turn into anger. Listen, I, I appreciate passionate people. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that I appreciate about my background. I came from a more Pentecostal background when it comes to church. I think every denomination brings something to the table for the big church, capital C, church. Um, and I think one of the things that the Pentecostal movement has brought to the church is this. Yes, we need to cerebrally, intellectually express dogma and doctrine and theology. Yes, we need to interact with God on the basis of rationale and reason. But he created us in his image, emotional creatures. And why should we interchange with every relationship of life with emotion... Why would we shed tears and express joy? Why should we mingle all of these emotions that have in our relationships that we have with our friends, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses? Why would we express ourselves with all of these people with our emotions and then when it comes to God, sit on that emotion? He doesn't do that with us. He rejoices with us. He mourns with us. He, and if we brought anything to the table for the body of Christ... We brought this. What we have with God can be expressed via and through our emotions. I don't see where an emotionless type of interaction with God is vindicated in, in Scripture. In fact, I see just the opposite. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. That sounds, pretty that sounds pretty passionate to me. In fact, that word enthusiasm comes from two words, en and theos, in God. So if you are enthusiastic, you are in God. A relationship with God goes hand in hand with passion. Listen, passion in our relationship with God is the evidence of our authentic affection for him. Passion. This is the indicator. This is the evidence in your life that you have an authentic affection for him. And your lack of passion will also show your lack of authentic affection for him. And you might say, well, I just don't think we should be driven by our emotions. Or maybe you would say, I'm just not a very emotional person. I'm just not comfortable expressing myself. I didn't grow up in a home where that was normal. It's not my background. Uh, most of the time, um, I hear that from men uh, more than women. Uh, I'm just not a passionate, emotional person. Really? Really? How many would like to have a relationship where you never have a passionate moment with your spouse? You know what I'm talking about. I'm being very, I have couth here. Would you like that type of relationship? No, there's an honest man. I'm just not passionate. No, no, you are. You just want to pick and choose when you want to sit on it and when you want to have some passion. Same person, 
Romans chapter 12, look at it. Never lacking in zeal. There's not really a lot of wiggle room there. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So here's the question. How would you describe your relationship with God? With zeal and fervor? Passionate? Enthusiastic? For me, fasting and prayer has been the secret to obtaining open doors, miraculous provision, favor, and the touch of God upon my life. When, when God places a dream inside of you that only he can make possible, you need to fast and pray. Good or bad, what's in you will come out of you during those seasons. The discipline of fasting, it releases the anointing, the favor, and the blessing of God in your life. Maybe some of you would say that your, your appetite for God and righteousness has been waning and you need to discover or rediscover the concepts of personal devotion, prayer, and fasting. This begins by recognizing that in life, when we, when we want something new and exciting to happen, we have to create space for that to happen. That's why, for me, these next 21 days are all about creating space. Think about an area of your life where you want God to do something new. Or maybe you're hoping for his strength and his guidance with a certain challenge that you're facing. You know, you know that God's nature is to create new things, that he has answers for you, and that life's challenges can be met. But let me ask you, have you created space in your life for God to fill? As much as God wants to do something amazing in your life, listen, God is a filler, not a forcer. God is a filler. He is not a forcer. Listen, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we want something new and exciting to happen, we have to create some space. Now, when you do that, when you, when you do, when you... When you take the time to create the space, don't try to figure it all out. Just create the space for God. He's a filler, not a forcer. And as you make space, as you unplug from the world, it creates opportunity for God to come in, fill the space, and he plugs you in in a way that you've never experienced before. For me, creating space, you've heard me talk about this, means not only getting rid of food, but it also means silencing my schedule somewhat. Uh, I love people. I love spending time with people. I love, I can do back-to-back coffee and lunch all day long and love it. I love being with people. But during this season, I have to silence my schedule. Get, I have to get alone more often. I, I realize at times that although I'm disciplined at spending time with God, I'm still sometimes, I let too many voices and distractions creep in on my time with God. I have to be intentional about getting into that sacred space, the secret place, the place of solitude where I can really hear him. One of our texts for this morning, Matthew chapter 6. I'll tell you that we have lots of scripture this morning, so if I'm moving too quickly, I'll send you the notes, I'll send you the references, whatever you need. One of our texts for this morning, Matthew chapter 6. Three when you statements from Christ. When you... Christ sets up three statements in Matthew chapter 6. They could also be seen as three 
space makers in, in your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray... Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of Him. I'm, at this point, I'm loving it. When you give, I'm naturally generous, comes easy to me. When you pray, got it. That's part of the... Christian thing, when you give, when you pray, love it. Verse 16, when you fast, hold up, what? When you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance, so they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you fast, you, when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Three when you statements from Christ here. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. He didn't say if you do these things, but when you do them. Jesus assumed that as his children, we would want to create space in our lives for him to fill. Three duties of every Christian are giving, praying, and fasting. Jesus made it clear. Fasting, like giving and praying, was a normal part of the Christian life. And just as much attention should be given to fasting as giving and prayer. When giving, praying, and fasting are practiced together in the life of a believer, it creates like a threefold cord that, as Ecclesiastes says, is not easily broken. Is it possible that we could be missing out on the greatest breakthroughs of our lives because we fail to fast? What answers to prayer are not getting through? What bondages are not being broken because we fail to fast? Second text for today, also in Matthew, I think will reiterate this idea for us and give us a clear example of what this needs to look like in our lives. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. When they came to the crowd... A man approached Jesus. This is a father. His son is demon-possessed. And this father is desperate. And he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. Other translations say that he was throwing himself into the fire. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Listen, listen to Jesus. Jesus', Jesus response. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? This is not really what you want to hear from Jesus, by the way. Bring the boy to me. 
And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Two words from that text that I just want you to write down. First word is this, unbelieving. Jesus' response, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Unbelieving, let's deal with unbelieving first. Unbelieving meaning you're not connected to God. Uh, You've somehow disconnected from him, knowing him, a faith-filled relationship with him, and you've become a doubter. And doubt comes from the fact that there's been a disconnection from him and his power and his ways. You simply are not connected enough. What that connection provides is faith, which then means you move from an unbeliever to a believer. And it would solve this problem of being unbelieving. Second word there, perverse. So unbelieving, not connected to God. Perverse, too connected to the world. Not connected to God, too connected to the world. You're way connected to the world. You're not only not connected to me, Jesus says, but you've gotten involved in some things that dilutes and pollutes my relationship. It's creating a wedge between us. So you're not connected, and you're too connected. And I just thought as I read that, how true that is of all of us. Of all of us. My relationship with God, not connected enough. I've probably gotten distracted And I'm not going to tell you, I'm intentionally not going to tell you what those things are in your life. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. What you need to do is ask him, Lord, is there a place in my life where I'm not connected to you enough? And then listen. Because that's one of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. To bring conviction, not condemnation, but conviction. And so you ask the Lord, is is our relationship what it should be? Is there something missing? And I promise you, he'll answer you. Listen, he does this with me all the time. Lord, where, where are we, where am I not connected to you? And then you also ask, Lord, is there a place where I'm dabbling in the junk of the world? I didn't know it, it just kind of happened and I find myself just getting more worldly just kind of started watching some things or listening to some things or going some places or hanging out with certain people and now I've ended up here and I'm unbelieving, not connected to God, and I'm perverse, I'm too connected to the... Let's remember who he said this to, by the way. He said this to his disciples. You know what I know? For the most part, you already know what's missing in your life. You already know what's missing in your relationship with God. And for the most part, you probably already know the things that have become a distraction or a hindrance to that relationship. Here's what what I love about Jesus. One of the things. He not only identifies the problem, but he identifies the solution. Matthew chapter 7. Same same story here. Verse 19. Then the disciples, they've been rebuked publicly. Yeah, they've been called perverse and unbelieving. Then the disciples come to Jesus privately. That's a good idea. That didn't really feel too good. I'm going to go ahead and say, hey, could we talk about this over here? And they said to him, why could we not drive out that demon? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, unbelieving now, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, 
and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, normally we stop right there. Jesus didn't. Jesus says, nothing will be impossible to you, but this kind, this kind of demon will not go out except by prayer and fasting. So, unbelieving, not not connected to God, perverse, too connected to the world. Jesus' first solution, prayer. What's prayer do? Prayer connects us to God. That's... That's what prayer does. It gets you closer, more intimate with God. It solves the unbelieving part of you. In fact, the more time you spend with God in prayer, the greater your faith grows. The more time you spend with Him, the more confidence you have in Him. That's why we spend time. It's not just to check it off our list. This is true with anything. Any, anything or any person that I spend more time with, I have more confidence and trust in that thing or that person. Your faith rises so that you go from unbelieving to believing because prayer connects you to God. And every one of us, every one of us could improve our prayer life. And you say, well, not me. The rest of us could improve our prayer life. Okay, that's, that's Jesus' first answer to the unbelieving. Prayer and fasting. What does fasting do? Fasting disconnects us from the world. So, I'm unbelieving, I'm not connected to God, but prayer connects me to Him. I'm perverse, I'm too connected to the world, so I fast and it disconnects me from the world. Can I tell you what fasting is not? Fasting is not about punishing yourself and God wanting you to suffer. Now, you may feel like you're suffering. He simply wants you to disconnect from the things of the world And as you do that, you gain dominion over the things of the world. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lost their dominion when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They satisfy their appetites and they lose dominion. Well, if you want your dominion back, then you've got to push those things back. I'm convinced that if we as a church will set aside, intentionally set aside a time to better connect with God and to disconnect from the world. God will build a church here that will accomplish things that we would never be able to do on our own. And the same thing can happen in your life, friend. I I would love for you to experience what I've personally experienced through the years as I've chosen to start the year with a season of prayer and fasting. And if you're skeptical about it, just try it. Try it. I'm not talking about a meal a day, a meal a week. And during that time, pray and connect with God. Otherwise, it's just dieting or starving, one of the two. Don't Don't be unbelieving and perverse, remember? It's a connection problem. We're too connected to the world, not connected enough to Him. You know, as, as human beings, we are triune beings. There are, there are three parts to every human being. The only created being that God made that has three parts to it, right? The, the tree out here, on the only one tree that we have out on the property, has one part of it. It's just the physical part of it. There is no... So, now, if there are any uh, environmentalists in the place, I hate to dash your hopes and dreams... That tree has no soul or spirit. It's just a physical 
tree. Uh, animals. Animals have two parts. Of the three, they have a body and a soul. The tail wags, the tail tucks. They have emotion. It's clear. Uh, I may be breaking some of your heart to tell you that animals do not have a spirit. Will dogs be in heaven? I don't know. I know that cats won't. But cats go to hell. I, that I know. That's it. I know that. Do dogs go to I don't know if dogs go to heaven. Who are the lamb and the lion? They long, they're laying side by side. They got to be Animals don't have a spirit. Next time you get an animal to respond to a salvation call, you tell me. Okay? But you, you have three parts. The only created being that has three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Body, connected. This is our body, right? The very tangible you. I feel my own pain. I have hunger. I have an appetite. My body has all these things inside of it. My soul. The emotional side of me that connects me to others. This has to do with the relational hunger that we all have. People, for the most part, are what make you happy or sad. Our emotions are always connected, for the most part, to someone else. And then our spirit that connects us to God. We're the only created beings that have that ability to connect with God through our spirit. And all these things are at work in you. Listen, one of those three is the strongest in you right now. One of them is the strongest in you right now. And whatever one is the strongest dominates the other two. For example, when your emotions take over, it will kill your body and spirit. Depressed people will get so depressed that they will take their life. Why? Because it takes over the body and the spirit. When the body is in charge, it doesn't matter how you feel after it. I'm just going to do it because it physically is gratifying. I'm going to sleep with who I want to. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Even if I know in my mind I'm going to be miserable on the other side of it, I don't care how it's going to make me feel because the body is in charge. But when the spirit is in charge, this is what uh, Romans chapter 8 is all about. If you have a chance this week during your time of prayer, read through Romans 8. Talks about the person that's being controlled by the Spirit who doesn't listen to the flesh. Here's the, here's the beauty of fasting. You get two things, you can accomplish two things at once. You get a twofer, okay? You both weaken the body and the soul and you strengthen the spirit. And you can actually be a part of causing your spirit to be the part of you that's the strongest. And when that happens, friend, amazing, incredible things start to happen in your life, okay? You know that I'm not just going to deal in theory and hypothetical. Very practical for you now, okay? Extremely practical. Three things that you should probably do today if you're going to go on this journey to any degree. Three things. Very simple. Number one, set an objective. Have a plan. Pray, Pray about a plan. What would you like to see accomplished during the next 21 days? Go into it prepared. What specific needs are you believing for an answer from God? Now, I can tell you, there have been times during my season of fasting and prayer that by the end of the 21 days, I did not get the answer that I was believing for. Um, But my faith is strong enough sometimes to not get what I want. My faith is strong enough to handle a no sometimes. What what are you believing for? 
have a plan. Just doesn't have to be complicated. What's, what's the objective? What are you looking for? What are you believing for? Number two, very simply, decide what kind of fast you want to do. Uh, I will typically, over the next 21 days, just eat fruits and vegetables and drink water. My son was drinking his flavored coffee drink on the way to church this morning as we were riding together. I about ripped it out of his hand almost. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. I was happy with my water. It was delicious. <laughs> it tasted so good. <laughs> now just decide. Decide what kind of fast you want to do. Just decide. What, what, what are you going to do? Our son is, you know, he's already negotiating with me. Now when you say no electronics, what do you mean by that, Dad? <laughs> Talk about that later, buddy. And the third thing. Okay, very simply. Expect results. Believe for something big. Pray bold prayers. I've been studying uh, for next week. I'm thinking about this idea. How would the world be different if the prayers that you prayed last week were answered? Just real quickly, think about the prayers that you prayed last week. How would the world be different? Would that world only be different in your world? How God-centered are your prayers and how self-centered are your prayers? I would encourage you to pray bold, God-centered prayers and expect results. Isaiah chapter 58, our last scripture for the morning. Isaiah chapter 58, if you want to read through that this week, deals with fasting. It's all about fasting. Um, And if we have three when-you statements from Christ, Isaiah 58 has three then-you statements in response to when you fast. When you fast, three then-you statements in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. How many need some healing in your life? Healed marriage, healed emotions, physical healing. Second, then, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. How many need some protection and provision in your life? And verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Three things that happen when you fast, then you experience healing holiness, and help. New righteousness doesn't mean perfection. It just means right living. I'm back in better standing with God. I'm back on track. I'm in right standing. How many need some answers? Some help? When you get your life connected and disconnected, then you can expect to experience healing, holiness, and help in your life. One other thought on that passage in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, you know, with that one, it's going to take prayer and fasting. What that says is that there are certain types of strongholds in our lives, in that case it was demons, that will not be overcome except by prayer and fasting. Most of the time, we stop at that statement. Nothing is impossible, but the catalyst to making that statement a reality was the combination of prayer and fasting. 
Let's also not forget that Jesus had just come out of 40 days in the wilderness prior to this encounter. Doing what? Praying and fasting. If Jesus, think about this. If Jesus could have accomplished all that he came to do without fasting, why would he fast? The Son of God fasted because he knew that there were supernatural things that could only be released through that way. Even Jesus had to create space for the Father to fill. He had to get away. If he needed to, There's many powerful and intimate experiences with God that you'll only experience when you get away. When you unplug. When you connect to God in prayer. And when you disconnect from the world by fasting. I believe, I believe this. As you create that space through giving, praying, fasting, there's no doubt in my mind that God will respond and fill that space in an amazing way. Because if it means something to you, it means something to him. But if it doesn't mean anything to you, create the space in your life. The key is to remain intentional, not just for 21 days. Why? Because Romans said, never lose your fervor. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.